Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Greetings and welcome to our deep sea domain. This is Under Consultation, an episode by episode podcast type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and I'll need plenty of British spunk to get through this episode. And I am Ash Versus, and I make Luke look like the normal one. This episode aired on the 13th of February 1997. Tomb Raider tops the video game charts. LL Cool J tops the pops with Ain't Nobody. And we've got a new number one at the top of the UK box office with Mel Gibson's Ransom. I came from fairly humble beginnings from upstate New York. I'd never even been on an airplane before. In 1971, I threw everything I owned into a charter service. In a world where great risks can bring extraordinary rewards. We've grown 37 countries worldwide. The most important thing to me these days, family. Mine, yours. Tom Mullen has succeeded. He's so shy. Next month, he's doing the underwear billboard in Times Square. Ow! Beyond his wildest dreams. I have your son. Give me $2 million or you'll never see him again. Sean! Your only priority is getting your boy back. Is there some sign that he's alive? Is he indoors? Is he outdoors? What was that? How many kidnappings have you worked before? Ten. Got back seven. What went wrong? If I were a betting man, I would bet on the people who pay. Did you bet on the ones where you got back a corpse? They had him right where they wanted. Yeah, he hung up. You don't know where he is. You don't know him. He is. You're the FBI and you don't know Spike. Get him. Until he did. Is our son dead? Don't ever think that. What they never expected. Been on your TV, Channel 5. Keep watching. Tom, you're on. The whole world now knows that my son was kidnapped. Sean, if you're watching, we love you. This is what waits for the man who took him. This is your ransom. This is as close as you'll ever get to it. 
Mel Gibson's Ransom, directed by Richie Cunningham, from Happy Days, or Ron Howard, as he prefers to be known in his post-Happy Days career. Hollywood's safest pair of hands. If you have got a troubled production, and you just need a director that will do what he's told, Ron Howard is your man. And all you have to do is give a role to his brother Clint. Exactly, that's all he asks for. He's a very easy man to work with. I mean, it's not even can Clint be in, it's like, which character can Clint be? And they're like, oh, well, that character's got one line. He's like, perfect, that'll do him. I feel somewhat bad because earlier in my podcasting career, I did a podcast on at least one film featuring Clint Howard and one that definitely starred Clint Howard. It was one of the nasties, Evil Speak. I think it did the Ice Cream Man one. No, no, no. We did Evil Speak, which, which was young Clint Howard uh, being corrupted by the satanic forces of computers. Well, they are dangerous. Oh, very dangerous. And there was also Killer Pigs in it, which didn't look so much Killer Pigs as just, ooh, there's a truffle round here. But I feel bad because I was very, very mean about Clint Howard. So... I'm going to use this platform to apologise to Clint Howard and direct my my aggressions towards Ron Howard, the ginger twat. Thing again, it says a lot about our thoughts on the movie Ransom, which is certainly a movie that stars Mel Gibson. I think that can be said about it. That we have actually just spent uh, the last two and a half minutes talking about Clint Howard, who's not in this movie. Oh, actually, wait, I mean, probably he is in this movie, but he is not our lead star of this movie. No, our lead star of this movie is Donnie Wahlberg. Yes, uh, we have got. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty good cast uh, all round. Especially if you just put your hand over the first name. Yeah. Because this is a Mel Gibson joint. Yeah, this is a... I think this is also the one where Rene Russo... I think this is the movie anyway. I, I, or certainly, like, Meg Ryan used to say a lot about this. But, like, all the talk around, like, the making of this is what a prankster Mel was on set. And that was sort of, like, what carried him a lot. Apart from, you know, the fact that he was always put on movie posters because he was a leading man that did sell tickets. Was that he was fun to make movies with because, oh, what a prankster that man is. Yeah, there's a lot that can be read into the word prankster, isn't there? Sometimes pranks can be. Well, I, I was about to say sometimes pranks can be funny, but oftentimes they're not. I think it all depends whether you think this person will actually find this funny, rather this will make me laugh. Yeah, exactly. That's it. And like, Ransom is, it, it's a movie, it won a couple of awards, it got okay reviews. It is, I haven't seen it since, I don't think I saw it in the 90s. I'd have probably saw it in like the mid 2000s or something. I can't really remember anything about it in all honesty. And this is the story's third time in front of the cameras as well, because originally an episode of a TV show I think it was called Steel Hour. I actually didn't write that bit down, but I know it was made into a film in the mid-1950s, and one of the people that starred in that was a pre-Forbidden Planet, pre-Naked Gun, pre-Police Squad, Leslie Nielsen. Just on a quick check, it was the United States Steel Hour, so you were basically there. Oh, there we go. I bet you the United States Steel Hour, that's probably because it was sponsored by Remington or something. Let's have a look. The United States Steel Hour is an anthology series which brought hour-long dramas to television from 1953 to 1963. The television series and radio program that preceded it were both sponsored by the United States Steel Corporation. It was a, actually, it was a Rod Serling thing, because he did patterns on it. Oh, cool. I, I would rather watch that and talk about that. <laughs> The one thing I love about just to talk about anything other than this version of the movie is the 1956 version wasn't just called Ransom, it was Ransom! Exclamation mark, Which really does make me feel, especially as it stars Leslie Nielsen, that this is almost a precursor to Airplane! 
exclamation mark. There's a, a movie that kept cropping up in, uh, I mean, they don't do episodes mostly anymore. They just tend to get together for one Christmas special now. But The Twilight Pwn, which was like a comedy Twilight Zone podcast. And um, I've, I've mentioned them on this show before because um, I, I, was a, I was a big fan of the show when they used to run about sort of eight, ten years ago. But there was a lot of actors in The Twilight Zone that appeared in a movie that was called Hitler with an exclamation mark. And so you can't just say the word Hitler. It's going to be Hitler because it's got that little exclamation mark at the end. We managed to completely fail to actually talk about the movie Ransom. It's a plot. It involves, it's a kidnapping. It's a kidnapping film where, guess what? Spoilers, there's a ransom to be paid. And I, honestly, I'd actually much rather we skip past uh, Ransom because we can talk about LL Cool J because that is attached to a film I really do like, which is Beavis and Butthead Do America. I love Beavis and Butthead do America. And I am really, really pleased the reviews coming out of the Paramount Plus uh, Beavis and Butthead movie have been like, oh, it's it's exactly what you want from a new Beavis and Butthead movie. But, but to back up a bit, I don't remember this song in Beavis and Butthead do America. I don't think it's actually in the movie. Like the, the white zombie track is in the movie. And obviously Love Roller Coaster is in the movie. But I think this is just on the soundtrack, written specifically for the soundtrack, but just to put on there. One, I've owned Beavis and Butthead do America multiple times too. I've owned the soundtrack multiple times. I still don't remember this track being anywhere near it. Because I Same. think of Love Roller Coaster, white zombie. And yeah, that that's it really. I had the exact same thing. Because when I was like looking up this song, because I remember the song, but then I think about it, when I, when I actually remember it's just the Shaka Khan original. I don't actually think of the LL Cool J one. And like you, I own this soundtrack. And I owned the other Beavis and Butthead album. Well, actually, I think I listened to that one much more because that has some absolutely corking tracks on it. And some really funny Beavis and Butthead skits on it too. But uh, I didn't remember that this LL Cool J song was for Beavis and Butthead. I was just like, oh yeah, it was an LL Cool J song that came out in the late 90s. And this is LL Cool J. This is pre-Deep Blue Sea LL Cool J. Yeah, deepest bluest. His hat is not quite like a shark fin with this one. I love Deep Blue Sea. That's such a good film. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's a so... great film. There is a documentary coming out soon uh, on shark exploitation movies. Yes. And I cannot wait to see what they say about Deep Blue Sea because it really was a return to that genre after quite a gap. Basically, Jaws killed shark exploitation movies with Jaws of Revenge. And then Deep Blue Sea came back. And whilst it is a very stupid movie, it gave the genre a little bit of dignity back. And also, we wanted to talk about LL Cool J, and I've just started talking about shark exploitation. But it's a perfectly functional, unnecessary remix. If it yeah. was made for Beavis and Butthead, that makes sense. Because a lot of the time, artists will take an easy paycheck to do a soundtrack song. Why not? I don't begrudge them that. Absolutely, yeah. And like, it's funny as well, because the song, like, it, I mean, it topped the charts here in the UK, but elsewhere, it just was middling to nothing at all. But for whatever reason, the song just really took a hold here. It must have got like loads of radio play. Australia, it barely charted. Canada, it barely charted. Germany, it barely charted. The Netherlands, it barely charted. Even in America, barely charted, apart from the rap chart. But here, number one in the UK. So for whatever reason did well here on our shores. In some other TV-related news, on February 9th, the live final of the 1997 Masters on BBC2 is interrupted by Snooker's first ever streaker. 22-year-old secretary named Leanne Croft, who invaded the playing area at the beginning of the third frame. After stewards removed her from the area, Games Master contestant and Golden Games Master joystick winner Ronnie O'Sullivan amused the crowd by comically wiping the brow of veteran referee John Stewart, who was repping his final match of his career.
glass of water, and I think he, he needs it. Uh, Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. centuries of first in a major final. That's, that's going out on a high note, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it just? Do you reckon he booked her? <laughs> You'll be unsurprised to learn as well that Leanne Crofts then got some spreads in like the Daily Star and the Sun off the back of it. Phrasing. Yeah, mm, yes. They were on that like a shark. They were on that deepest fluid. Their hats were like shark fins and they were on that. On February 12th, Channel 5 releases details of its programming schedule. It would introduce the concept of... Now you want to talk about phrasing. It will introduce the concept of stripping and stranding to British television. Stripping being aware a program is shown at the same time each day and stranding being where similar programs are shown at the same time each day. Full schedule is published on February 18th. On February 12th, David Bowie receives a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And on February 13th, the Spice Girls knock Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart off the top spot in the US singles chart. They're the first British group to have a number one in the US with their debut single. Female group, I should say, because obviously, you know, Beatles and that. Good evening, and welcome to Games Master. Now, being the most amusing show on television, we continually get letters praising our highly innovative approach to light entertainment. Now and again, however, we get one which is less than positive, like this. Now, um, I'm going to read you the exact words here. Dear Dominic, I am appalled at the so-called content of your show. You seem to use video games and women as a cheap way of getting in your own weak jokes about pants, old people, and rude phrases. Do you think this is funny? Yours in anger, Martha Smellybottom Pants Granny. <laughs> now, you're right, I don't think it's funny, Martha. What I think is funny is making up letters from viewers with imaginary ridiculous surnames. Hope that answers your question. So this has been a bit of a constant joke that we've had, or a consistent joke that we have had throughout Series 6, which is Dom reading letters. And it just sort of feels like, you know, when they come into the writing portion of each episode, they're like, well, we haven't done a letters gag for a few episodes, so uh, we'll, we'll do one here. However, I will say, I think this is the funniest of the letter gags that we have, because it's an incredibly meta letters gag. The punchline of this is not just Martha's smelly bottoms pants granny. It is also, she won't find me reading made up letters from made up people very funny. And I think that's actually quite a good and very clever meta joke. And it's even better when it's then followed with, but enough of the cheap gags, let's get on to today's event called Hot 4-Way Action. <laughs> Classy. Classy stuff. Wireplay is Britain's first quite literally dedicated network gaming service, allowing PC users all over the country to compete in various multiplayer games. The system's not been without its teething trouble, so we thought we'd gather up a few people from around the country to find out whether Wireplay really is the future of gaming or just plain pish. Oh, Wireplay, man. We, we've... we've We've touched upon Wireplay a number of times in this podcast. We have, yeah, because it's appeared on the show in multiple different uh, at multiple different points. You know, started as like we've had two different news items, I think, about it being like here is something they're working on, and now it's actually here. This option to play games online with your friends and stuff. This newfangled idea. I, I think it's a very cool idea, and it's I'm really pleased that we're getting it as an actual challenge here on on Games Master. And you know, Games Master just going well. It's had a few teething problems, so they're not just going. Oh, this is the best thing since sliced bread, which is very Games Master. I mean, we've had games appear on Games Master as sponsored content, where they've then gone, "The game's a bit shit." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is not him being like, "It's the greatest graphics you'll ever see in your life." This no. is this is actually just like it's a cool new thing that we've we brought out, but it's not perfect. And 
there will be some problems because of course there's going to be problems it's online play in 1997 or 1996 when they recorded this i will say that at least as presented on tv this is remarkably smooth Mm, very much so but should we get into the actual challenge itself what are we playing games master for this event i have found a plucky flying ace to take on three opponents in different parts of the country on the network game ef2000 tucked snugly into his cockpit my contestant will need plenty of british spunk if he to avoid going down to his three murderous opponents Oh, he's going back to his RAF roots. He is, yeah. He seems very pleased about that as well. Very happy to be talking about that sort of thing. I I bet you he was, because this wouldn't have been that long after he'd also kind of mentally revisited it for Independence Day UK as well, which, you know, obviously we talked about at length on an earlier episode. So I can imagine that being told when he gets the script and he's like, what are we talking about? Ooh, fighter pilots. Lovely stuff. He knows exactly what an EF-2000 is. Probably. He's got a plucky flying ace to take on three opponents all around the country. Uh, I think we've talked about EF2000 before. I'm fairly certain it's come up on the podcast. We certainly talked about a lot of flight simulators, mainly from the perspective of we kind of wish we got them. Yeah, I was going to say, we've talked about flight sims before, and I think by extension of that, we've talked about EF2000 because all flight sims are basically the same thing, just with various different shades of beige. Although this one isn't a microprose flight simulator, so I will give it that. This was developed by Digital Image Design, released by Ocean Software. Hey, an Ocean game that isn't a movie tie-in shovelware. It was a sequel to an earlier game, TFX. There was an expansion pack released. It would have actually been released by the time this challenge was recorded, certainly by the time that it aired. And there was an updated release called Super EF2000. It didn't come out for the SNES. It did come out for Windows 95. And then in 1997... A compilation titled EF2000 V2.0 was released that included the DOS version, the expansion pack, and the Windows version. So basically, they just shoved all the different versions in a box and went, you figure it out. Then in 1997, some months after this, some months after this challenge aired, they released an extra graphics plus patch, which added 3D card support. So we talked before about the early kind of 3D accelerators, 3D effects, voodoo and that. They released a patch that made things run a little bit smoother and a little bit faster. And this is, you know, again, a, an example of a game that it's not for us. We don't really get it. We've talked about that at length on this show before, but the magazines liked it. You know, it, it, games, Computer Games World gave it simulation of the year. PC Gaming UK in 97 called it the eighth best PC game ever. So there are people that really dig this sort of thing. And... You know, I, I would say that the people playing this game also really like this game. I bear no grudge them because I will sit and spend hours on Minecraft or, you know, No Man's Sky. That's the closest I really get to a flight simulator is tootling around the space in No Man's Sky. So, yeah, more power to them. And don't get me wrong, I love the whole peripheral setup you can get with flight simulators. You don't see it in this because this is early doors. But I love that you get the sticks and the yokes and everything because they just look so cool. Yeah, if you really want to be able to fly a plane, like if that is something that is a, you've got a real interest in, this is the best way to do it. In the same way that if you really wish you were a train driver, you can play really good train simulators that give you... And you're right, like you can get all the big peripherals to make it feel like you are driving a train. I totally get it, and I've got no ill will towards it. None at all. But Games Master ends by giving us a quick cockpit joke and a technically appropriate use of the word spunk chocks away this is a show that knows it's not going to get a seventh series 
we may as well just say things now because they can't cancel us at this point. We're already cancelled. This fine young figure of a man is going to be our Atlantis-based challenger in the Wildplay Challenge, Robert Murphy uh, from Harperton. Robert, is it uh, Robert, Rob, Bob, Rab, Bert, Cynthia, what would I call you? Rob. Rob is fine. We're happy with Rob. Okay, now I believe that uh, you've, uh, you quite fancy that Gillian Anderson from the X-Files. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah, you think she's a very nice lady? Yeah, very nice. Well, it's funny because as I left her this morning doing my hoovering and washing up, she said she quite fancied you as well. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that. I love that they referred, well, one of the names is Rab because that will become a name that will be very uh, infamous to Games Master down the line. I love this little bit, although... Did you also clench at the next bit, just going, oh, I can feel a joke coming? Yeah. And it wasn't the one that I expected because Rob fancies Gillian Anderson from The X-Files. And Dom has slammed Gillian Anderson, not in that way, multiple <laughs> times in this show. Not in that way. like Where he has just said, like, because, you know, she was FHM Sexiest Woman of the Year and all of this sort of stuff. And he has said multiple, I don't think she's attractive as if that is like the be-all and end-all of, of, you know, of people's thoughts on her. And he doesn't like the show either. So yeah, when he mentioned Gillian Anderson, I was like, uh-oh. Oh no, not another, not another dig at our old Jill. But no, he actually recycles a joke I think he's done before, which is, oh, apparently she fancies Rob too. She told Dom that when he left her this morning doing the hoovering and the washing up. Also, come on, Dom. Hoover's the brand name. It's a vacuum. Unless he actually owns a Hoover. I mean, you might do that, but even then it's still not the correct... Uh, verb. I was trying to think what that. I was trying to. I was trying to think. I was, I was going back to my English language uh, lessons I had at school. Then it's not the correct terminology. Yeah, it's not the correct terminology. It's a vacuum. But speaking of things that suck, we meet our three other competitors: Ian in Croydon. Croydon represent. I was going to say when Croydon came up, I was like, I can hear Ash smiling. Like, <laughs> yeah, my town is is ill near. My town's on Gamesmaster. He's doing fine. Yeah, we've got uh, Jason in Stepney, whose nickname is Bonehead because uh, that is what his PE teacher called him for being accident-prone. And Dom says it's the living proof at the lack of imagination of PE teachers. And so more knocks at uh, PE teachers we've had across Games Master as well. Uh, and our last contestant uh, in Warrington, so uh, not too far from uh, my neck of the woods, Martin, whose nickname is Scumbag. Or at least that's the nickname that can be said on television at this time of day. Yeah, because otherwise they'd have to put fuckface on, uh, on the screen. So a cross-section of the fabric of British society and they all make Rob look like the normal one. I really like this as a setup. Like, if the show was still in the Series 1, Series 2, Series 3 format, they wouldn't have done a challenge like this. And I think this is one of those great examples of the growth that this show has had since Dom has taken over the creative reins to, to make it more like this magazine-style show. And I really like it. Because, you know, putting yourself into the mind of a, a, a child that I was in February of 1997, this feels so futuristic, so impossible that I could do this. I, I, I couldn't have done this in February of 1997, but the idea of being able to do it is certainly an appealing one. Yeah, I mean, I'm a few years away from getting access to home dial-up internet, but I can tell you those early days of having home internet and also some games that you could play online. Half-Life was an early one. Quake as well, but Half-Life was that game which just really, that was the first one that really got its hooks in, you know, when I could get on free serve for two hours at a time. My early doors of, of online play was very much down to the internet cafes. Um, unfortunately, playing Counter-Strike because no one wanted to play Unreal Tournament with me, which is a game I actually do enjoy, um, but playing a lot of Counter-Strike. 
And then at home, it was, yeah, Half-Life and, and things like that. For just the internet cafes, which I think I've talked about before, for me, for there, it was uh, Quake and Red Alert. Oh, if my friends would want to play Red Alert with me, I'd have been all over that, like white on rice. Weirdly, it was less impressive for me because I wasn't playing against guys online. We were all playing in the same building. They were, they were networked together. It was local play. For some reason, we never really ventured out into the internet to play the games online. We were just playing against each other, which is why when we had those lock-ins with like 10, 12 PCs all running, and we just used to play Quake death matches until four or five o'clock in the morning. It was great. But anyway, it's time to get Rob into his gaming position and probably try and get Kirk off those premium rate numbers so they can use the phone. No, this isn't a home video of my recent holiday in the Cotswolds. It's Turok, the first first-person shoot-em-up for the N64. The graphics are impressive and feature some of the most spectacular explosions seen outside my pants. Turok is released March the 4th, unless I tell them otherwise. Our first news item is on Turok Dinosaur Hunter. It is nice that we kicked off this season with news on Turok Dinosaur Hunter way back in episode one of series six. So it's cool to see that we've come this far in the timeline, if that makes sense. Like what we saw in the first episode of series six was just like, here is early footage of what is going to be the first big first person shooter on the N64. And now here we are at the end of this series, series episode 16. And it's like, yeah, it's released in March. It's released next month, in fact. So I think that's it's quite cool that we better see that progression. Yeah, and the game is definitely looking better now than it did in those early shots. And this game is one of the best looking kind of complex games on the Nintendo 64 at this point. And it is also, of course, the last great hope for a claim. They were pinning a lot, not onto this game, but onto this franchise, because of course this comes after they'd bought Valiant Comics, renaming it Acclaim Comics. The, the, Turok was their big ticket. It needed to be everything for them. Yeah, we, we talked about this back in episode one of this series. This was the last hope that they had. They put because they were tanking money, which is mad to think of the you know the success they had in the 16-bit era. But they just could not find that same level of success afterwards. And they sort of skipped over the 32-bit systems, thinking that they were just going to be a fad and stuck with the 16-bit. That wasn't working. So jumped over to the N64 and spent a lot of money buying up Valiant, hoping that this will be their ticket. Like this will be their new franchise that they can, because there was, you know, a lot planned for this. It wasn't just the game, comics, action figures, the whole nine yards were being planned for this thing. And in fairness to, you know, look into the crystal ball a little bit, this game made bank. This game sold over a million and a half copies it sold consoles because of how well this game was received it got a sequel it got a prequel you can still play this game now those you know master remastering vultures night dive studios and i mean that in the nicest possible way because i've played a lot of their work they re-release it on a digital platform for windows xbox nintendo switch so you can still play it on a nintendo console and even the ps4 got in on it way back in 2021 Funnily enough, actually, and I think I might have said this before, never played Turok. I had a poster of it because it came with the Games Master magazine, uh, but I never actually played the game because I didn't have an N64 and my friend who had an N64 didn't have this game. But I always liked the idea of it because I loved Jurassic Park. So the idea of being a dinosaur hunter was very, very appealing to me. I thought the poster that they had was very cool. I did play it. I quite liked it. I didn't fall in love with it as much as everyone else did, but 
I don't know. I don't. I couldn't tell you why that was, but I did play it and I did like it. Dante's Peak is Hollywood's latest special effects thingy, aiming to do for volcanoes what Foucault did for post-structuralism. The film stars Linda Hamilton, that lady who ran around in a vest in the Terminator films, and the bloke who seems to be in everything these days, 007 star Piers Brosnan. Dante's Peak will be over here next month, unless I tell them otherwise. Well, it, it's 3D fighters or 3D racers in the arcade world. Over in the on the silver screen, it is. What is the next big special effects heavy disaster movie that we can make? And here it's Dante's Peak with Linda Hamilton and Bronholm. And much like Turok Dinosaur Hunter, it'll be out next month unless Dom tells them otherwise. Brilliant running gag. It is a very good running gag that we have throughout this as well. We also won't get Dante's Peak uh, in our in-between episodes because it is not a UK number one. I think it's one of the ones that's more forgotten about, kind of like Volcano. I don't think people talk about this or that as much as they do, say, an Independence Day or a Twister or something along those lines. It almost feels like this one, these are, they was coming a little bit late in the day or just sort of the, the forgotten ones of this period of, t- of, uh, of cinema. I rewatched both Dante's Peak and Volcano uh, during lockdown, during the pandemic. I went through watching a lot of disaster movies because I do disaster movies to me are kind of comfort movies. So I went through Earthquake, Roller Coaster, the various airport movies, this, that and the other. And I just kind of went in chronological order until I got up to Dante's Peak and Volcano. Dante's Peak is to me the better film. Dante's Peak is to volcanoes what Twister is to tornadoes. You've got the team of scientists, they're doing their research. You've got a kind of, ooh, will-they-won't-they relationship going on between Brosnan and Hamilton, which, two damn fine-looking people in this movie, why are you spending any time with the volcano? Why aren't you just making seismic tremors of your own? Is it Dante's Peak or um, uh, the other one, Volcano, that has the scene where the guy, I think it's to like rescue a daughter, like stand in the lava to essentially be a stepping stone. Is that Volcano or is that Dante's Peak? Jumps out of a train to do it, yeah? Yes. Yeah, That's yeah, Volcano. Yeah. That's Volcano. I thought it but might have been. There is a scene where a grandmother, I think it's a grandmother, like an older woman or an aunt, does the same with water in this. This is one, really hot, but is also basically turning into sulfuric acid because of the volcanic eruptions. And so gets the ultimate stonewashed denim in her jeans by walking through this water, dragging a boat. Both both movies have really quite stupid and bizarre sacrifices. But I would definitely recommend checking out Dante's Peak because it looks great. It's a lot of stupid fun. It fits into that same category as Twister and Independence Day. Switch your mind off and just go for it. Do you know what it is? It's a perfect Saturday night movie. It's a perfect Saturday night movie. It's also a perfect Sunday morning after a Saturday night out kind of movie. The new MMX chip for the PCs had a lot of hype, but Pod is the first game to really show its graphics handling capabilities to the full. Released in a couple of months, it features all sorts of network and multiplayer bib bobs, including internet play. So if the brand new £2,000 PC you bought a couple of months ago doesn't have an MMX chip, chuck it out, unless I tell you otherwise. And our last news item here is on, I mean, we're either going to call this Pod or like the new metal band P.O.D., which does stand for Planet of Death, because I think P.O.D., the new metal band, stands for something, though I don't care to actually look what it is. Something Christian. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a jewel-wielding news item, because this is a look at this new racing game pod, but it's also about this MMX chip, 
that is coming out that you're sort of going to need. Like it, it's almost like a, hey, here's the next graphical upgrade you need to buy for your PC. And by doing so, you can then play this cool racing game. We are kind of fracturing off in PCs here, which happens a lot more as time goes on when you end up with ATI versus NVIDIA, all these different 3D chip manufacturers going on. But then you have Intel and the MMX. And the idea is a case of, well, you don't buy an add-on board, you buy a, probably a new computer with a new CPU inside. And that's got MMX, which stands for Multimedia X. Extreme. Extreme. Yeah. Perfect for when listening to pod. <laughs> and it would give you some of those boosts to graphics just on the chip. So rather than needing to buy an expansion card or an extra board, it would do it all on the chip. That's what MMX was. But then you also had the Voodoo cards and coming out soon, the ATI all in wonder cards and just competing standards it's things like this that are that always kind of kept me at arm's length from fully going in on pc gaming there were pc games i really got into avp quake doom uh command and conquer you know we talked about them before blade runner which i think is out like you know it's coming out soon I, I got into those games they never played great on my pc because we just had a bog standard pc that was there for in carter 95 that sort of thing the thing that's always kept me at arm's length from getting fully into PC gaming is that I have never fully understood all of the ins and outs that one needs for a PC. And the idea of it, when it's sort of like presented to you and the various different options, I find to be it's slightly overwhelming. And I remember like even sort of, you know, back in the day, making the argument because my my friend at school was really into pc gaming and he would talk about these sorts of things and i was like no i like my playstation because if i buy a game for my playstation it works on my playstation i don't have to look at the back of the box and work out through a grid system whether or not my pc can run this i literally buy a game go home and i can play it so that's what's always kind of kept me away from getting really into the pc landscape at that time and even since no i entirely get that because i have been and still can be at various times a pc gamer uh when it comes to graphics cards for the longest time i've been on the nvidia side of things and a lot of that isn't dictated by any sort of brand loyalty it's more the the fringe benefits i get with nvidia or the fringe comforts which is you get extra things that help with audio visual stuff with like video encoding this that and the other and i know radion or whatever has its own equivalences but there is a level of comfort there and in fact the only thing that stopped me upgrading my card for the longest time was the chip shortage that happened as a result of the pandemic if i want to tinker with games then i play it on a pc i guess if it's a more strategic game where sitting at a desk is a benefit then i'll play it on the pc if i just want to sit and play a game there's consoles even there now are, yeah there are there are certain games i think that do work better on pc i think first person shooters work better on pcs uh, well actually i'll take that back back in the day i would make that argument because the mouse look was always no better. no i think like competitive first person shooter gaming your cod blops your counter strikes your this that and the other mouse keyboard whatever setup you want pc is the way to go but if i'm playing a like a first-person shooter for the story mode, say Deathloop, say the story mode in a Call of Duty game, I believe they still have them, then that to me is fine on a console because I'm competing against the CPU, it's fine. I don't feel like I'm going to be disadvantaged against the CPU by having mouse look on a joystick. If I want to play a first-person shooter online, I'm going to go for mouse and keyboard. It's just because in my brain... That's what I'm the most used to playing against other people. The other ones I would certainly go for more PC over console are like 
obviously I don't play them anymore, but like football management sims were much easier on a PC because it could just save straight to the hard drive as opposed to buying a dedicated memory card to save your premiership manager season because it's too much. It's too big. And then your brother's just going to go and delete it because they need a new save file for something else. I'm interested to see, this is going way off tangent, but apparently the new football manager, championship manager or whatever sim, there is the PC version, but they've also done a kind of slightly streamlined, simplified version for consoles. Mm. And I think that is very smart because also you're going to get a broader audience there and you're not fighting the lack of a keyboard and mouse. Yeah. But anyway, Pod, it was a game. It came out in 1997. And as a result of its MMX tie-in, it became bundled with a lot of computers containing either the Pentium MMX or the Pentium 2 MMX processors. And eventually, despite the fact this was a bit of marketing fluff at Intel's MMX, a version came out that added support for the 3DFX graphics cards itself. So there you go. At the end of the day, you used to get a lot of games tied to a specific 3D card platform, but it would only ever be a timed exclusive or a window or maybe a few extra features that would work on one that would not on the other. And like as a console gamer, you know, I made the point earlier that if I, I would much rather just be able to buy something and run it on my console at home rather than having to worry about whether the specs work on my PC, I wouldn't have had that option with Pod because the N64 port was announced but did not happen. Nope, that was cancelled. But there was a sequel which came out for the Sega Dreamcast and which you could play on SegaNet using either the modem that came built into Dreamcasts or the broadband adapter, one of the few games to properly support it. Okay, we're about to play our fantastic wireplay challenge. We have got Ian, Jason and Martin spread out quite literally all over Britain. They're going to be trying to gun down young Rob Murphy who's with us in the studio. Rick Henderson is here. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Have you got any tips then? Right, yeah. Well, Wireplay is one of the only safe ways you can invite strangers into your house without having to lock up the family jewellery. Uh -huh. So, quite basically, he's got three men on his tail. He's going to have to reserve his missiles. They're gunning for him. He's on his own. Now, his advice that he gives here is you need to reserve your missiles because you'll need them because it's three on one. As far as I can tell in this challenge, he is firing out the wazoo. And it's like any opportunity he gets, he is firing. So I don't know, I couldn't quite tell like what reserve he had or he had not. It felt like he had an unlimited amount of missiles. I think Rick was expecting the other players to be better because there would be a finite amount of missiles, but I think he was expecting them to dodge more of them. Which, even when he did fire off multiple missiles and missed... He never took more than about two attempts to take down a plane. Yeah. You know, spoilers, it's a pretty simple challenge. I did like Rick's other advice about why play being the only safe way you can invite people into your home without having to lock up the family jewellery. Uh, speaking for himself, I guess, there. I don't know. I was going to say, yeah. One of my favourite things about this challenge, which is a perfectly fine challenge, I think the spectacle of it or the idea of it is probably grander than the actual challenge itself, which is, you know, this is a kid that is sat in a studio playing against three other people from around the country. So I think that's kind of like a, a really nice idea and a nice visual, but I think the challenge itself is broadly fine. Dom essentially opens up the challenge by saying, right, ignore everything that's on the screen, because that is way too complicated and you'll have no idea what any of it means. All you need to look at is this. You need either an open university degree or to have a beard, or ideally, both. Uh, Luke, we both have beards. Either of us have open university degrees? I, I have a university degree. I don't think it's going to help me here, though, because it hasn't helped me in any form of my life. Is the university still open? 
University. Uh, according to Google, it is open and closes at quarter past five. Then, as of recording, you have an open university degree and a beard. You are qualified to look at those things on screen. Oh, it's a shame that I don't understand any of it, though. Mate, it may as well be like a heads-up display on a Klingon starfighter for all I care. Yeah, it, there's a lot of guff around the screen. And what Dom says, the only thing you really need to focus on is the target that he has in the centre, because it's about finding the other three. It's about finding Bonehead and Ian. I believe his nickname is Chevy and Scumbag. It's about sort of finding those three and shooting them down. And as you said earlier, it doesn't really feel like any of them are fighting back. It doesn't feel like Rob is having to dodge much. It's a lot like the Doom challenge that we had in Series 5. I suspect we also have here perhaps a little bit of a home feel advantage to Rob because I made the joke earlier about, you know, stop calling the naughty numbers, free up the telephone line. But I bet you, given they're in a TV studio production environment of some kind, they're using ISDN lines, which are going to be considerably higher speed at that point than probably the connection, the 33.3 modem or whatever that these guys are using in their respective environments. So he's got a bit of a home field advantage. I suspect his PC is also top of the line. And he's been handpicked to be in that studio. He is so liked that they didn't even make any serious jokes about him liking the X-Files. Dom even says he's one of our own. At that point, I was like, is he on the crew? That he's just uncredited on the crew. He looks too young for that. Yeah. It really felt like a Ravi Chopra situation here, where it's like, no, he's just one of the researchers that we've let on set to do a challenge. This is the champ being fed local talent in a wrestling <laughs> promotion. Exactly. The challenge gets underway. He doesn't waste much time in finding a target. He attempts to get a missile lock onto Bonehead. Bonehead does actually dodge this one. He must have got the warning whoop whoop noise and ascends, dodges the explosive nasties. Very Tom Cruise, very Top Gun. He tries again, and this time Bonehead is dead. And I love the fact the screen does the winking out. Yeah. It, it's really nice. They've clearly just like sent them some Sony handycams or something and got them set up and just filmed them throughout. But it is really, really nicely put together. Yeah, it is literally like it, it's the same with Doom. You know, you had them disappear from behind the PC. Here we literally no, don't go back to them. We don't get like a return interview once this is all over we literally heard from them at the start watch them get killed and then go ah and then whoop, it winks out and we never hear from them again ian aka chevy is up next and there's only one attempt needed here boom chevy is down off to get a haircut press f to pay respect to the croydon massive two down one to go but scumbag is that is our last one that's left and he starts off behind rob and they're just like, oh, he's behind him. And then Rob's just like, no, now I'm, I've just turned around. It's fine. It's like, oh, well, there, there almost was some peril there. So Scumbag's answer to that is to run away. Yeah, he needs to get some sort of huge mass between him and Rob, like Rick's mob. Mine really wants to try and fight back, but the second best thing would be to try and get a huge landmass in between him and Rob. Like your mum, for example. Or, or my sister. I'm a very <laughs> the little pause of like your mum then was a great late 90s lad banter thing. And I say late 90s banter thing. I would say this to my boss. If we were doing a show together, I would just say that off the cuff because we find that sort of thing a bit funny. It's also very Newman and Badil. Just like, see that? That's your mum, that is. That's your mum, that is. But I do like Rick's like, no, 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 you're not going to take down my mum. Let's bring my sister into this. <laughs> Martin's running away and like, you know, Rob fires some missiles and, and hits some mountains. And then Rick says, Martin has run out of my mum. 
there's no room between them anymore. Rob fires at Scumbag, wins the challenge, and he looks very pleased with himself. Stand over there, young man. Congratulations. Well done. Uh, was there ever any point you were worried during that at all? Definitely not. They were all weird. I just outclassed them totally. Rob is top gun. He's ecstatic. He was never worried in the challenge. They were all weird and he just outclassed them. And I'm like, steady on, Rob, mate. It's not too late for Dom to shoot you down. A very short outro interview, this. Very, very short. It is literally like one question, one answer. The mermaids come through the joystick. There's no music. There's not even a kiss from them. It's like, never mind that shit. We got some reviews to get to. There may be no music. There may be no kiss. But there is one of the best jokes we've had since that golden era of euphemisms, series two, where Dom congratulates Rob for beating off the rest of the country. First up, we've got Soul Edge on the PlayStation, a 3D fighting game, which is great because it's been all of two minutes since the last one. Soul Blade is a conversion of Namco's Soul Edge arcade machine. From the start of the game, you notice they've added new things, beginning with one of the best intro sequences you've ever seen. It's also got the same graphics, incredible for a home system, and all 11 characters. The Edge Masters mode is basically a quest mode, but it's fantastic, because what happens is you take your character and you have to walk through a map, meeting other characters on the way. When you vanquish them, you actually get a new weapon to use. And when you've actually collected your weapons, you can go back into the fighting mode and actually use them. You can use them against all the other characters and that makes each character completely and utterly unique with new fighting styles. And that is superb. It makes the arcade machine look like nothing. Do you remember at the end of like series two and kind of going into series four a bit when Dom was really sick of platformers and he'd be like, oh, look at this. It's another platformer. Never seen one of those before. Or like, oh, look at this. It's another 2D fighter. Amazingly here, you know, considering what we had throughout Series 5 and actually in Series 6 as well with like a lot of love for Virtual Fighter and the love for Tekken. The review of Soul Edge starts with Dom going like, Ugh, what a surprise, another 3D fighter. Dom really likes like the innovators within a genre, but he he's very quick to get tired of a genre if it does get potentially watered down. I don't think that Soul Edge is watering down this genre, but like, I think Dom instantly looks at it as if it is watering down the genre. When it comes to actual direct competitors, we've had Battle Arena Toshinden. That is the closest to Soul Edge by being weapon-based combat. But as much as I love Battle Arena Toshinden, this is just hands down above it. And also, and this is the smartest thing and something they bring up in the review, it's not just an arcade port. They've really hoofed it up. They've added in so much stuff. In addition to just your arcade mode, you've got versus survival, team battle, time attack training, and the daddy. The bit that my partner still plays to this day is the edge master mode. That's the thing you want. It's the quest mode aspect of it. It's going through the game, beating people, acquiring new weapons, equipping those weapons, and learning how to use that fighter with those weapons. I think that's what sets Soul Edge apart. Because yeah, you're right, Like you can make the comparison to Battlery and but this is like leaps and bounds uh, above what that was doing. So I think it is unfair for Dom to kind of lump it in with everything because it feels like Dom's attitude towards this is that this is the same as Virtual Fighter, it's the same as Tekken, it's the same as Fighting Vipers, it's the same as Fighters Mega Mix, it's the same as Sonic the Champions. He just sort of looks at them; they're all exactly the same, and I I don't think that's very fair because I I think that the review that Rick and Ed give, although Ed basically says the 3D intro is nice, Rick is all about the actual gameplay side of things, and he seems to be well into it, to the point where I was surprised this only got 88%. Seeing how much Rick liked this, I thought this was easily in the 90s. I mean, we've often covered Games Master can be quite 
miserly with their reviews, but 88 is still a really, really good score. Oh, it's a great, it's a DeLorean. I, you know, we've given episodes of this show 88% and said these are very, very good episodes. It's just that when you are praising it as much as this and then it doesn't get a 90%, it is like a, huh. I was just, I was expecting that to be in the 90s, but perhaps that's why I'm so bad at Strike It, Lukey. I think you just need to believe in yourself more, Luke. But this port was based on the second version of the arcade, uh, version 2, so you got the base roster of 10. They added five extra unlockable characters, including Soul Edge, a.k.a. the final boss of the game. I like all of the Soul Edge slash Soul Blade slash Soul Calibur series, but there is still something really quite special about this one, and... To me, it's more replayable than, say, Tekken is by comparison to Tekken 3. I, there's just something quite magical about it, and I like it a lot. I would have given it 90%. I'd have probably given it 92 But I think 88 given the general metrics of the Games Master reviews, it's very, very respectable score. It's almost as if it's, it's not Tekken, it's not Virtual Fighter. So it's 88%, which is a very, very good score. Unlike this next game. Finally, Melt on the PC. I know absolutely nothing about this game, but it doesn't really matter because it's supposed to be pish. Everyone knows Eddie, Iron Maiden's zombie mascot. And in this game, he's the bad guy. You've got to travel through time, through different planets, finding pods to make yourself powerful enough to find Eddie in hyperspace and defeat him. The idea of Melt certainly an interesting one, giving yourself a set time limit in which to complete the game and having to really hunt around for things. Unfortunately, I prefer my games to have a bit more action and be a bit more fun than this. I mean, yeah, it's a 55% score. It's only Ed that reviews it, which is, it's quite funny, really, because it's about Eddie from Iron Maiden. And Dom even says, like, oh, if you want to get Rick's thoughts, they're on the website. Lol, not really. But this is a, a fascinating little one because, you know, I watch this show and then after I finish watching it, I've made my notes. I then go onto the interwebs and I look up the games and try to find a little bit about them so I can make some you know, some small notes of things like that. And then you Google Melt on the PC, Melt Iron Maiden PC, Melt Iron Maiden 1997. And the only game that comes up is Ed Hunter, a game that does not come out until 1999. I couldn't really find much about it. And then before we start recording, you were like, oh, well, this is why. To tell a story of Melt a bit, we need to tell the story of Iron Maiden because this comes at a time when Adrian Smith and Bruce Dickinson had both left the band. Adrian left in 1990, Bruce Dickinson left in 1993. There were replacements came in. The main one was, of course, Blaze Bailey, who was the vocalist for this period. And there was the idea, and they even advertised it on certain releases, is that coming soon, Melt, the Iron Maiden video game. And we see it here being reviewed. This game was never released. This game was shit <coughs> because, in the words of Blaze Bailey, it was crap. The band saw it, and in a remarkable sense of restraint, something that's pretty much ignored by most other bands, I'm looking at you, Aerosmith, they just went, nah, this game's pish, we're not releasing it. So it is amazing that here it is actually in a condition which can be reviewed which does make me question the veracity of the review, probably for the first time. So what happened was they went back to the drawing board. Now, there were some reports that basically Melt changed name and became Ed Hunter, which was a pack-in game with the I Made and Greatest Hits. I was actually looking for the CD because I do have it with Ed Hunter still inside. But that's not the case because the two games are very, very different. Ed Hunter is a rail shooter where you start each level and you pick a song from the selection of songs that can be listened to during Ed Hunter 
And that song plays on loop for that entire level. It probably says how bad Melt was that they looked at Ed Hunter and went, yeah, that's fine. That's the one. But looking at this game, I mean, Ed Hunter is definitely a better game than Melt. There's a lot in Melt that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, traveling through time, going to planets, finding pods, attacking penguins? Because, like, Ed does review the game. You know, it is it is nonsense. He kind of, like, lists a lot of the nonsense that were in this, but then says that, I just wish there was more action because then it would be a bit more fun. Maybe what they got was just this basic tech demo that they were told this will be coming out. So can you review this? So they do, and it only gets 55%. And it probably gets them quite late, which is why they don't have any Rick thoughts. So I find it to be very interesting curio within the Games Master Reviews because this is something that clearly the developers thought was going to get released and the publishers thought was going to get released, which is why they sent it out to get reviewed. But like it sort of raised the question of like, well, when did Iron Maiden pull the plug then? Like how close to release was it before they pulled it? I mean, one thing I can say is that on Iron Maiden's original website, circa 98 to 99, that's where the idea came that Ed Hunter was just a revised Melt came from because they said, oh, Melt has changed its name to Ed Hunter. But it wasn't. It was a completely different development cycle. So there was clearly nothing they saw from this that was redeemable. And it's a shame because genuinely, I, I mean, this game looks pish. Ed Hunter is fine for what it is. I think there is actually a really, really good game somewhere in the Iron Maiden canon because you look at their album covers, you look at Eddie as their kind of mascot slash villain slash antagonist slash protagonist. You look at how sprawling some of their songs are. There is a game somewhere in Iron Maiden that is a good game. But I'm not sure we'll ever get a development team or more more specifically, a publisher willing to put the money forward to develop it. In my mind, it would be an epic point-and-click adventure. Oh, I was just going to say it would be Rock Band Iron Maiden. Well, we already mostly got that. Like, Thankfully, because Rock Band did believe in DLC a lot of the time rather than just, here's a new game. And even when there was just a new game, you could, apart from the Beatles, import all those tracks into the main platform. I think to explore the lore, as it were, a time-travelling point-and-click game would be a lot of fun. So maybe Eddie is this kind of like chaos time demon and you're going between the ancient Mariner and the Battle of Britain and all these different areas trying to undo the damage he's wrought. Give me the money. I'll find a development studio. We'll make this happen. Call me, Dickinson. Well, let's get into our celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? It's time to get all wet now, as my next challenge is on the Nintendo 64 jet ski game, Wave Racer. Each contestant will attempt to score the maximum points on two separate tracks as they churn across the water. Time is short, and they'll have to reach the extension points if they want to stay in the money. Surf's up. Bearing in mind that this game is uh, on jet skis, I do question Games Master's outro line of surf's up, because the surf isn't up. It's a jet ski game. Well, no, because if you think of the surf as the part of the wave that's breaking, their surf still could be up. You just happen to be going across it in a jet ski. It feels like it's a line that was supposed to be used on Alpine Surfers Challenge. And they just went, snip. Yeah, we'll just put that instead. We'll put that here instead. We've talked quite a bit about Wave Race 64 before. We have, yeah. It was reviewed earlier in the series. Not much to add to it here. 
But tonight's guest, we get some very interesting interactions between them and Dominic. Our special guest tonight recently won uh, Best Rap Act at the Black Music Awards, an award they narrowly pipped me for, bizarrely enough. Please welcome the Brotherhood! I want to talk about the subjects of rap, right? What you, what, I mean, what would you say you guys mostly rap about? Well, about every, everyday living still, you know, what we've gone through yeah. to get where we're going now, you know, our little, our little hardships, you know, like yeah. no double check or whatever. Uh -huh. You just put that on wax. But it's not a lot of stuff rap about clothing, like about pants. <laughs> Anyone doesn't rap about pants or anything? I mean, that's everyday uh, living. Yeah, well, we could do something for you, you know, a little pants rap for you, you know. I, I can do a pants rap. Go on then, hit us with a little verse. Yeah, a little, a little pants rap, pants are okay, um, I'm, uh, I'm the MC Dominic, my pants are too tight. They're itching the scratch, keep me up all night. I uh, wanna get rid of these pants, but he won't give up without a fight. If I get a looser pant, then I'll feel all right. Peace. MC in the house. <laughs> I really liked the Brotherhood on this show. I thought they were a lot of fun. Uh, I thought that they both were kind of game for a laugh. It could have been very easy for Dom's rap to fall flat on its ass and for them actual serious rappers to be like, don't make fun of what we do. That's exactly it. I, I was just like, there were so many rappers, particularly award-winning rappers as they are, looking at this pale, lanky, bespectacled Scottish bloke rapping about pants, and they could have just done a proper Dave Perry-esque shutdown on him. Exactly, yeah. Take themselves too seriously and not really have fun. But they feel like gamers themselves. Shylock, certainly, because, you know, they even talk about that, that he's the favourite in this because it's a racing game. But if this was a beat-em-up, this would have been Mr. Spice's wheelhouse. So they do feel like they really like video games and they play games in their spare time. And that adds in another level to the enjoyment of the the challenge that we eventually get and i i like that they they have a laugh with dom you know it's like paul mckenna a couple of weeks ago like they're having a laugh with what they're doing that certainly helps when it comes to the challenge itself i also love how absolutely peak mid to late 90s they look i mean they're called spice and shylock and then they come out and they got the baggy jeans and it's just like oh mate this looks this looks comfy certainly does indeed and i actually i'd never heard of uh, the brotherhood they're basically here around the time of their Elementals album. That's the one that like won them awards and stuff. And I was checking on Wikipedia. It has been described as one of the best hip hop albums made in the UK. So I was like, well, I'll give this a go. And I listened. It is fucking brilliant. It's really good. And I actually ended up listening to quite a few of their tracks. I'm going to listen to the whole album as a whole. So if anything that this episode gave me, is some new albums for me to dive into because we're actually not far from the group splitting. They split up the following year, but they had been going since the, the mid-80s. Shylock has been with this group since 84 and then Spice joins in 92 and there's just been this sort of like rotating lineup of, what, of, of who the Brotherhood are. I can recommend if you like your rap music, Elementals is a very, very good album by the Brotherhood. And I love this quote as well of like, it's about dealing with your own backyard because there's enough here to deal with. We're talking about vibes. We're talking about play school, Jack and Ori, Chorlton and the Wheelies. You get me? When we say those references, it will tickle you. And I haven't really listened to much of it, but just reading that statement, I'm thinking, I'm absolutely going to listen to this. I want my music to feature references to play school, Jack and Ori, and Chorlton and the Wheelies. I have never heard a song that has referenced Chorlton and the Wheelies. I am here for it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Also, the final lineup of this group is it's Mr. Shylock, it's Mr. Spice. 
and the third and final member, Mr. Dexter. So a lovely little Games Master connection in some ways to round us off. Okay, if you want to see um, if the Brotherhood will split as a result of this challenge, join us after this break. Brass Eye, three sides of the coin on six. It's quite acceptable for Peter Sissons to receive oral sex during disaster reports on the nine o'clock news. Two men marching like that present a much smaller target than two men marching like that. This guy's got AIDS and he's about to beat me in an arm wrestling. Oh, well done. Let's talk about your club. What's it called? Stringfellas. Okay, but essentially, we're talking about your club. It's called Stringfellas. Brass Eye, Wednesday, 9.30 on 4. What turns an apparently ordinary person into a murderer? Why do some of them kill again? And how do so many elude capture for so long? For the answers, read Murder in Mind. Discover the forces which turned a Gloucester home into a killing field. Unravel the events which led to a five-year reign of terror in the north of England. Learn how a twisted fantasy drove a student to kill an innocent girl. Murder in Mind builds into a complete dossier of killers, their crimes and their psychology. Murder in Mind, out now. Excuse me, Ooh. ever eaten a dime bar? Nope. I like armadillos. Hey. Dime, the surprising alternative to armadillos. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Clearasil helps keep my spots under control. But you're not spotty. That's because I use Clearasil every day. Clearasil face wash helps stop spots every day. 
At Britannia, we believe in sharing our success with our members every year. This year, we're sharing 35 million pounds. If this is the kind of society you want, then join us. Call 0800 44 Britannia, we are the sharing society. Persil has a special stain release system to get clothes brilliantly clean. Whether you like it or not. Persil's new stain release system is nothing short of brilliant. Imagine Fridays without four. A bit like the Lone Ranger without Tonto. I wouldn't take that sort of risk. No! Go on. <laughs> Think of an alternative. I'm trying to. What should I wear? Like my pinstripe suit, maybe? Hoover. Really turned on. Anything else just isn't comedy. That's hit me low the belt. I'm scared, Rosie. Okay, now I can't breathe. Let's face it, there's only one place to be from nine. Friday comedy is still hottest on four. to Gamesmaster. We have the Brotherhood on as special guest tonight. If you missed the first half of the show, then you missed me doing a rap for the first time ever. In the break, I've cut my first single. Derek Lynch from Namco Wonder Pass is the only person who's bought it. Right, Derek, any tips for the guys on Wave Racer? Well, for this game, they'll have to watch out for the line themselves up on the jumps. Mm -hmm. Also go for the loops. And when they do go on the jumps, do a hoop. Hoop? No, a loop. A, a loop in the air, that's right. Okay. By clever manipulation of the joystick. Were you surprised to see Derek Lynch in the booth? Because I really was. I was like, this is not a Namco arcade game. Why are you here, Derek? I'm assuming he was just there. This feels like it, it's got a Kirk challenge written all over it. Or, actually, no, this is more of a Rick Henderson challenge. I would love Derek Lynch. I think he's grand. But I was just really surprised to see him there. Uh, I'm wondering if maybe it's because it's an arcade challenge. Even though it's on a home console, the style of game and the way they're doing the challenge... It's very arcadey, particularly the fact they're having to take turns because, as we covered before, there is no proper multiplayer in Wayface. Yeah, there's only a two-player option, and that would just be a straight race. But to kind of show off Wave Race and show off a bit more of it, I think this is a smarter challenge for that to do like an accumulative score challenge rather than just do a straight race. Derek does have some meaningful advice. It's like, watch out for lining up the proper racing line for the jumps, go for the hoops. Um, when you go over the ramp, do a hoop, a loop, a loop-de-hoop. Waggle your joystick, basically. This is a perfect example of Derek Lynch in Series 6, where Derek Lynch says what the challenge is, messes up a lot of his words, has a laugh, and then Dom looks down the barrel of the camera and explains the challenge better than Derek Lynch did. Although Dom does knock his own watch off, which absolutely breaks Derek. I think he said in the Q&A that we did with him, it's just like Derek was a perfect commentator because he just laughed at everything. And he is just having fun on the set of Games Master. And it's delightful. We have two courses to go through, a one-jump course and a four-jump course. Spice is up first, and he gets underway. He does indeed. And he misses one of the rings, kind of early doors. But really, the crucial failure of this uh, round, of this race for him, is that he absolutely bollockses his jump and crashes right into the water, loses himself loads of time in doing so. To the point where he just makes that time extension so he can play a little bit more. But like it is a real 
bloody hell, you were close to the knuckle of, of ending your run early here. And so he makes it to the finish with a score of 1,790, but it feels like that, that would have been better had he not completely fucked that jump. And Shylock goes for a completely different tactic with his run. He basically ignores pretty much all the rings. He focuses on getting his speed up for time and doing a heck of a stunt off the ramp. And just based off focusing off speed and the stunt, he ends his first part with 2,698 points. A combo of speed and tricks, they're what made the difference. It is, although it kind of highlights a little bit that the game is a bit flawed in some aspect then, because if you can just ignore one of the basic elements of it to get points and you just get massive points elsewhere, it makes it, it, makes it feel a bit unbalanced. It almost feels like you need to be able to do both in order to be able to do well. I wrote my notes. Bloody hell, it looks like he's avoiding these hoops. Like he's purposely driving out of the way of them. But you're right. Like, and he even says that at the end of the thing. It's like the, the hoops are useless to you. You just need to get the speed. You need to get those the stunts. The stunts are where the points are at. Because he does a massive stunt off that jump. And just doing that one stunt, bearing in mind he ignored all of the hoops before it, got him a bigger score than Spice did in his entire run. But it really sets the bar quite high for Spice on his second go because he starts the second course and basically he needs to do more stunts. That's how he's going to catch up with Shylock. And he takes the advice to heart and he hits a pretty good combo of rings and jumps, but he gets carried away. And oh, we've had so many times in this series where you've had someone running out of time just as they cross the checkpoint. And it happens here. He ebbs over a checkpoint and boom, another 15 seconds on the clock. And unfortunately, he's lost momentum. He wipes out, he runs out of time, and his two-round total ends up at 4696. Yeah, it's basically when he gets that time extension, I don't think he realised he was going to get it or thought that he was going to get it. It almost feels like he was ready to put the pad down and he just can't recover from it. He misses a jump, misses the hoops in the process of that as well. So it doesn't gain any more points off the back of the time extension. It's a real shame because he does get those first two jumps and get some pretty good scores off the back of them. But once he misses that third one, it's pretty much game over for him. So 4696 is the total to beat, and Shylock only needs 1,999 points to win the challenge. He kisses the joypad, which I thought was a lovely touch, and gets underway. And he does the same as before. He focuses on speed and stunts over rings. And by the second jump, he has won. And anything beyond this point is for glory and rubbing the salt into the wound. He gets all four jumps and nails all four of them and perfects all four of those stunts. His final score is 5,441. And so Dom's just like, I've no idea what the, the total score is. I mean, he's definitely won. So Maths has told me it was 7,894, which is just a bit better than Spice's 4,696. It's a smidge. It's a photo finish, Luke. It was so close. This was almost like the Athlete Kings level of like, oh, that was a bit close, that one. Congratulations, Spice. Congratulations, Shylock. Thank you very much. Okay, Spice, uh, let's talk about figures. I mean, I can't even count up how much that Shylock beat you by, but I do know that his second round score was more than your two rounds put together. Well, that's because I got was, I was cack at this game, but no big thing still. I'll oh. get him. Oh, no big thing. Shylock, what were you? Interesting tactics you were using, especially in the first round. Well, you know, I'm not too good with rings, so, you know, <laughs> I just forget the rings and just go for the jumps because that's where the points are. But, uh -huh. you know, it's luck, really. Because well, you, you, you see me drive. And <laughs> <not very good. laughs> 
I'm good. It was, it was a lucky three and a half thousand point win. A very it's, lucky it's three and a half thousand point win. And this is again why I really liked these two on the show. Spice is like, I'm just cack at the game. Like, that's a great, like, admits it's not the controller was rubbish. Oh, no, he cheated. It was like, no, I'm just crap at these sorts of games. Put me on Virtual Fighter, I'd absolutely deck him. But this is not my cup of tea. And Sherlock's like, well, I wasn't too good with rings, so I just went for the jumps. It was a lucky 3,500 point win. (laughs) He gets the joystick. I really, really liked this. I thought that the challenge itself was very, very fun too. It, you know, obviously would have been better had it been a bit closer. But I think the two of them and the, the charisma and the fun that they were having more than carries over that. I would absolutely agree. It's a really, really fun celebrity challenge where even if some of the gameplay isn't the greatest, both of them want to be there. And God knows we've had too many celebrities this this year that just haven't felt like they wanted to be there anywhere near it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, look at the EastEnders chap that we had on a few episodes ago. Didn't want to be there. At least these two lads had some fun. This week, I'm being ironic in Venice Beach, California, home of Digital Domain. They've done the effects in the Terminator 2 3D attraction in Florida, the effects in films like Interview with a Vampire, Apollo 13, and James Cameron's forthcoming uh, Titanic. But more importantly, they have done the most fantastic piece of software ever, Barbie Fashion Designer. Barbie Fashion Designer is not so much a game, more of a toy. Would-be Vivian Westwoods can design their own Barbie outfits and even print them out on special fabric paper, watched by men with beards. It's the first ever best-selling CD-ROM for girls and became the US equivalent of the Buzz Lightyear toy last Christmas with supply far exceeding demand. Who would have thunk it? I mean, actually, this explains why it was a news item a few weeks back that we would actually almost end off our series, and we're certainly ending off this episode, with a feature on Barbie fashion designer. Dom clearly thinks that this is hilarious, and they've gone out to California to do a whole feature on Barbie fashion designer. Also, you know, the digital domain as a whole. But the central gag of this is they made a Barbie game where you can make your own clothes. Teehee, I'm a grown man, that's funny. I mean, you say a few weeks ago, it was over two months ago, Luke. This was season six, episode five. Craig, was it really that long ago? And Dom was super enthusiastic about it. And I'm watching this feature and I cannot make up my mind if he's being a sarky bugger or if he is genuinely tickled by the existence of this game. And the more I watch it, the more I'm leaning towards the latter. We should have asked him. He seems quite genuinely charmed by the entire thing. I think him saying, I'm being ironic in California, makes me think that the tongue is placed firmly within the cheek here with him talking about this being the best CD-ROM available and this and the other. Because Dom is also a very switched on man to corporate greed. And as we mentioned when we did the Barbie fashion designer thing, this is corporate greed to the game because there's only one type of uh, uh, actual material you can print these off onto. And you've got to buy it from Mattel. No one else is selling it. I mean, I think Dom's being sincere. You're not entirely sure. Andrea Malaro, who Dom is interviewing about Barbie fashion designer, has the look on her face of someone that is not quite sure where this weird Scottish man is coming from. But she just talks very positively about the game and just gives very straight answers even though you're right like she has got the air about her that like this man's coming in here to make fun of my game but jokes on you because this game's massive in america and she just gives a very good answer to this which is that like hey actually it was an executive from mattel's daughter that came up with the idea i'm hoping she gets some of the credit for this maybe she's getting some good pocket money off the back of this 
because this is the sort of thing that she wanted for her Barbies. And I said this when we talked about it way back in the day. I think this is a great idea. If you are a fan of Barbie, this is almost ideal. Yes, of course, you've got to buy the stuff from Mattel. So yes, there is some 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 corporate greed around it, but I I don't begrudge them for it. I actually think this is quite a cool little thing. And this really, really set up her career because she's gone on. She's still involved in animation and production today. She was appointed to Micros Animation 2021, and she's got an IMDb page, which features Barbie fashion designer, but also Open Season, Surf's Up. Surf's Up. Open Season 2, Garfield, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, got a special thanks in that, which clearly means she contributed in some way. This game kind of set her up. She is fairly well regarded in the industry. As our, um, you know, digital domain, you know, they were, they were founded in like in, in 93 and there has been some like, you know, changes of management. I think there was a sale at some point, but as a company, as a brand, they are still going today. In fact, they did work on Morbius, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and Black Adam for, for these years releases. So they are still very much doing special effects work here. So it's kind of nice to see the early starts of, of this company here. And the first two big things that they did, which was Barbie fashion designer and Michael Jackson's Ghosts. Of course, no self-respecting digital studio goes without one of these. Yes, your classic baseball hat with ping pong balls, LA fashion statement there. But coincidentally, these are also used in motion capture technology and digital domain has the greatest in the world. Yes, this is indeed Michael Jackson on his sponsored Weight Watchers tour. It's a scene from his latest video created by Digital Domain's motion capture supremo, Andre Bustanobi. Uh, Michael Jackson's ghost, which we see some motion capture footage of, which is absolutely fascinating seeing the sheer amount of capture points they've used. Uh, the creator of this entire kind of that entire ghost thing was a guy called Andre Bustanobi, who has quite the resume himself. Once that immediately leapt out was Sky Captain in the Worlds of Tomorrow. He was visual effects on that. But more appropriate to our timeline, both Species and Waterworld. That is well, two nice films there, absolutely. Yeah, I'm quite a fan of uh, Species and, as we've discussed, I'm quite fond of Waterworld. He also worked on, yes, that version of The Island of Dr. Moreau, upcoming Fifth Element, Titanic, and Barbie Cool Looks fashion designer. Oh, I got a cool sequel. Yeah, he couldn't stay away from that fat Barbie money. Uh, also, he worked on Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, and The Cat in the Hat. Sometimes you've got to get that steady paycheck. Yeah. They reference Michael Jackson's new music video, and it's sort of a music video. It's, it's actually a short film. It is yeah. uh, It is 30-odd minutes, uh, which is 39 minutes and 32 seconds. And it's funny as well, because it's credited as like the longest music video. It's three songs, so it's, it seems a bit unfair. And it's like one of those things where you're like, oh, it's Michael Jackson's ghost. It's a long music video. He plays five different characters in lots of prosthetics. Huh. It was directed by Stan Winston and written by Stephen King. It's a rogues gallery of like incredible names working on this thing. And a lot of it really holds up. I was watching it like while doing research for this. It's kind of still quite cool. Did I scare you? Oh, yeah. no. No. That's him, Ma. That's the guy. Sorry. No, you didn't scare me. Maybe you scared them, but you didn't scare me. Well, that's too bad, isn't it? I guess I have to try harder next time. There won't be a next time. Oh, really? Oh, really? No next time, huh? Why is that? 
We want you out of town. We have a nice, normal town. Normal people. Normal kids. We don't need freaks like you telling them ghost stories. So you don't believe in ghosts? I do. Me too. Hush up. You see what you've done? Aren't you ashamed? Young people are impressionable. Show them the neat stuff he did for us. Shut up. That's supposed to be a secret. Don't hit your brother. You're weird. You're strange. And I don't like you. You're scaring these kids. Living up here all alone. I'm not alone. You're right. I do like scaring people. Yes. But it's just for fun. Don't you kids uh, enjoy when I do my little, you know? Where the fun's over. Back to the circus, you freak. The one bit about it that hasn't aged well is obviously the presence of Jackson himself. And it's kind of like the problem with Thriller and Captain EO as well and all those various other projects that he was involved in that were technically and production-wise just absolutely magical. But we spent a little bit of time looking at the latest sponsored Michael Jackson Weight Watchers tour. Ooh, that joke. Yeah, it's not good, is it? But then we go back to Barbie, where they do address a problem that I think is quite good that they did address, which is Barbie does not or should not move like a normal human being because the articulation and the proportions aren't the same. So they do talk a little bit like that, of trying to take the points from the model doing the capture work and making it fit the proportions of a toy. And this is a motion capture problem that goes on to this day. I mean, as much as Andy Serkis can contort himself into all those different shapes, they still have to make changes when turning him into a CGI monkey. Yeah, and I think it's it's cool from a technical aspect them talking about how you tennis ball up a model to be Barbie compared to how you tennis ball up Michael Jackson to do a dance routine. I, I find that to be quite an interesting thing. This is like a real cool dvd bonus feature making of thing and i I, I quite enjoyed it from that aspect but of course we end with dominic where he's happiest sat down playing with his barbies there is a genuine amount of glee from him in this shot and that is what makes me doubt how cynical he's actually being or maybe he kind of started as being cynical and then started actually having fun with it or maybe i don't know the drugs were just really that good. I think it's it's certainly some of the latter. Uh, I <laughs> I also think is you, to, you need to take this seriously in order to sell that you think that this is great. You know, him putting her to bed and going, good night, love, I, I thought was genuinely very, very funny. I thought Dom was brilliant in this segment. Absolutely wonderful. Okay, I hope you are sitting down because I know today's show was pretty fantastic. Next week's is going to be even better and if you watch and don't believe me then uh, come in and feel free to kick my head in i will leave you with a question if bob hoskins reckons it's so good to talk why is he taking out a high court injunction preventing me from getting within 50 feet of the wee guy good night <laughs> but did he comes out and he's like well i thought this week's show was fantastic if i'm being honest yeah and next week's show will be even better if we don't believe him we can come around and kick his head in uh, let me just quickly check my notes. Do I agree that next week's one is better? Oh, actually, our first challenge is very good next week. So we don't need to fly to Canada and kick his head in? No, no. I, I, I think I will believe him that I think next week's episode is even better. I mean, that's good for our bank balance and good for our carbon footprint. But Dom leaves us with the question, if Bob Hoskins believe it's good to talk, why does he have a court injunction against Dominic preventing him from getting within 50 foot of the guy? This got the biggest laugh from me. Because to those of you listening who watched Dominic when he was doing Twitch streams during lockdown, there was the infamous Bob Hoskins is dead moment 
where Dominic started to do a segment on Bob Hoskins, only to find out that Bob had actually died some years previously. And there was just this string in chat of people going, Bob Hoskins is dead, Bob Hoskins is dead, Bob Hoskins is dead, Bob Hoskins died five years ago, all this stuff. And I think it was even referenced during the Q&A we did with him. It was certainly, we chatted about it afterwards. I don't know if it was actually in the recording or if it was just something we were talking about in the pub afterwards. As a result of that entire thing, this got a proper good belly laugh. I'm also glad because it's not a dig at the Super Mario Brothers movie. So Dom knows where his, lo- his loyalties lie. That film digs its own grave. But that is going to do it for this episode. Episode 16, we are so close now to the end of this series, can you believe? But Ash, what did you make of this one? This is another episode that gets stronger as it goes along. Because the first challenge, it's very cool because we are seeing internet play of the time, pre-broadband, pre-fiber internet, pre-megabytes per second or gigabytes per second. This was K per second. And I think that is very cool. I just wish the challenge had been a little bit more action-packed and maybe a little bit more two-sided as opposed to what it is, which is champion being fed jobbers. It did need a little bit more oomph to it. I think had it been a an FPS, maybe it would have done. I think like this, doing a flight sim, and I li- actually, in a way, I like that they did a flight sim because it has sort of broken up the challenges in some way. Like it isn't just a 3D fighter. It isn't just a first-person shooter. It isn't just a racing game, which I feel like a lot of season six has been. However, it is also a bit slow. It's a bit sort of monotonous in a way because that's what flight sims tend to be. So it, it didn't have the big action punch that the, the challenge needed. Like you'd say, it is cool and spectacle because this is K per second internet play. And that is amazing to see in situ. The idea is greater than the execution, I feel. Yeah. Thankfully, I think everything else in this episode just bolsters it and makes everything better. We start with the news. We've got Turok. We've got Dante's Peak, which was a lot of fun to talk about because I... You know, I love disaster movies. I think you're kind of okay with disaster disaster movies. movies. Yeah, yeah. A lot of fun to talk about one that is often forgotten, especially because, man, it's got such a good cast. Just having Hamilton and Brosnan together, just such two charismatic leading actors. And we get that bit on pod, that's fine. You know, it is exciting because it is where home computers are going and how quickly the field is moving. Then we get the challenge. We go back to the hot four-way action where the title is actually more exciting than the reality art imitating life then we go into the reviews and we have soul edge which despite dominic going oh another 3d fighter nah, this is really really cool man and then we have melt which is a shit game but is also kind of cool this is another one where the actual discussion about it is more interesting than the game itself there isn't much to say about the game itself and there isn't much out there on the game to first to find but that makes it more interesting celeb challenge wave race great game great challenges lots of fun white man rapping about pants all good stuff and then the feature where we get to go back to the beginning of the series and we talk about barbie again and it's whether it's cynical or not it is fascinating as you said 3d motion capture technology uh the ping pong balls and all that seeing how it differs from capturing barbie to capturing michael jackson and it's an episode that does properly grow as time goes on and i think if they'd flipped it around if we'd had the ef 2000 challenge to end with i'd be much more negative on the episode even if it still ended with the barbie feature because the challenge was just kind of like he shot them out the sky 
the, I feel like this is another episode in series six that I, I think we've had more often than not is it's a tale of two halves. We've had it before where the first half was great and the second half's not so great. But we've also had it where the second half is great and the first half's not so great. This is one of those where I think the second half of this is brilliant because I think the Wave Race Challenge is a lot of fun and I really enjoyed the Brotherhood and I think the feature is a great amount of fun. But the opening challenge, which is you know does dominate the first half of it, isn't all that great we do have the news we have the reviews but that challenge is not all there so for me like it is sold on that second half and sometimes it is how you leave them folks and i got a lot of joy out of this episode just watching early online play and then watching the that today n64 challenge which you know 1997 i think it's still exciting the thing's still not here yet but we're getting challenges on the n64 and then i think it's a purely ironic thing but i love the irony of Dominic Diamond taking this seriously. And I think there's a lot of fun in that. And I think his performance in that feature is great. I had a lot of uh, positive feelings coming out of this episode. I'm not in the 90s, but I almost feel like I want to soul edge this. I want to give this a DeLorean. I am shocked to say I'm 1% below you. I was at 87. I wasn't quite DeLorean. It's so weird. I think if you'd taken maybe the challenge from the next episode, the opening challenge, which is also flight-based, mm-hmm. I think that in place of the EF2000, this would be in the 90s. Yeah, oh, 100%. This would be, it would probably be one of the best episodes of the series for consistency. With no disrespect to Rab, Rob, Bob, Cynthia, or any of the competitors, it was exciting because of the technology, not because of the gameplay. That's exactly And it, yeah. I think, unfortunately, that doesn't work for a live challenge. For UCP Live 2.0, we are not doing an EF2000 challenge, I can guarantee you that. Although it would be a way for us to involve some of the uh, the listeners that can't make it to Croydon. But I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media, Twitter, if it still exists when this episode comes out, at underconsolepod, and maybe we'll make more of the Instagram, which is at under.console. And you can send us an email with your all-important feedback to Series 6 to feedback at underconsultation.com. Or if you want to chat with us in real time, chat with other listeners, other fans of Games Master, retro gaming, retro pop culture, current pop culture, all that good stuff, you can do so over on our Discord, where I'm sure you'll be able to find out, if we're not on Twitter, where we are on Mastodon, Hive, ICQ, MySpace, whatever the hell we're using at the point that this gets released. Elon Musk may be able to kill Twitter, but Discord will always live until their servers may shut down. But for now... I feel more confident with Discord than I do anything else. And same. And you can also support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to UCP Extra, the show format, but about other shows from the 80s and 90s, as well as UCN, Under Console Nation, our monthly community show. At the £5 level, you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad-free. £10, a little bit extra. Ash, what is that? Oh, for only a few quid more than a completely pointless blue tick, you can get an under-consultation joystick waggler's mug, which is golden, it's glittery, it's stuffed with stickers, badges, trading cards, retro sweeties, and we stick it in a Tesla and zoom it straight to your door. Hoping that it doesn't crash on the way. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Xanderthal, William, Tom, the amazing Cliff, super sexy David Fisher, Simon, Selena, Sean, Richard, Reese, retro fun for everyone, Nick, Misha, Matty, Boom, Mark, Link, Kevin, Jamie, Ian, I am Cheadle, Harriet Manga Girl, Gordon Dempster, Gordon Brands, David Palmer, David Wright, Christy Two Sticks, Chris, Arcadia Wild Bill, Andrew, Adam, and Andy. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. Good night.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.